Hello, Chris Joffrey here, and welcome back to EM Intro. On this episode, I'm going to talk about a focused approach to chest pain patients. Keep in mind that while it's important to document where pain is located, that neither the location nor intensity is completely specific to any particular organ system. For example, a patient with esophagitis might present writhing and clutching his or her chest, while a patient with an MI might not particularly complain of much pain at all. Remember that multiple organ systems reside in the thorax, such as the esophagus, great vessels, lungs, and heart. Both cervical and abdominal pathology can produce chest pain, and intrathoracic organs can refer pain outside of the thorax, such as the jaw, epigastrium, and neck. I'll briefly go over some of the can't-miss diagnoses and go through each of the sections of the HNP. One thing to note up front, Although history is important in every patient, it is particularly important in chest pain patients and will give you about 90% of the most pertinent information. So what does that mean? It means that during your limited encounter with the patient, you should probably spend the majority of your time on history taking and a smaller proportion on the physical exam. It doesn't mean that you're allowed to neglect the physical exam. As always, start with the ABCs, vital signs, and for patients with chest pain, don't forget the ECG. And now, the six can't-miss diagnoses for chest pain are number one, ACS or acute coronary syndrome, number two, aortic dissection, number three, pericarditis, and associated with that, tamponade, number four, pulmonary embolus or PE, number five, pneumothorax, and number six, esophageal rupture. I'll say it again. ACS, aortic dissection, pericarditis, PE, pneumothorax, and esophageal rupture. Okay, so let's start with the HPI. Important findings for the HPI include the onset of pain, which consists of when the current episode of pain began and what the patient was doing when the chest pain began. That would be exertional versus pain at rest. If the patient states that the pain has been persistent for a few days, Really try to tease out if there were any periods, if at all, when the patient was pain-free. When it comes to location and radiation of pain, don't forget to ask about the neck, jaw, arm, and back. In regards to the character of pain, remember that some patients don't consider pressure the same thing as pain. If they're currently pain-free, how long did the pain last? If it lasted around 10 to 15 minutes, that should be of greater concern for ischemic chest pain. Asking about associated dyspnea, diaphoresis, nausea, vomiting, and dizziness are particularly important in interviewing a chest pain patient. How about aggravating and alleviating factors? Is the pain positional? How about changes with respiration? Do they have chest wall tenderness? And if so, does it reproduce the symptoms that brought them to the emergency department? If you end up calling the cardiologist, he or she will likely ask you if the patient is still currently having pain, so don't forget to reassess frequently. Also, don't forget to address treating that pain. Nitrates and morphine should be your first-line options. Ask about any recent symptoms of exertional chest pain or exertional dyspnea. Can they walk up a flight of stairs or more than a block or two without getting chest pain or short of breath? That can make a distinction between a lower-risk and a higher-risk patient. I like to talk about the past medical history, surgical history, social history, and family history as a group. Key findings in this section include a known history of coronary artery disease, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, peripheral artery disease, obesity, and smoking. Ask about prior history of heart attacks, strokes, hospitalizations, and surgeries. Surgeries that should particularly stand out in your mind include coronary artery bypass, vascular grafts, endarterectomies, and stent placements. If the patient does have a history of heart attack, 
Don't forget to ask about how the current symptoms relate to the prior heart attack. Have they ever had a heart cath? They most certainly have had one if they've had an MI in the past. If they had a prior heart cath, did they have stents put in? When was their last stress test, if they've ever had one? If the patient had a heart cath performed a week or two ago that showed clean coronary arteries, it's much less likely that they're currently having an MI. So if you have the ability, it's extremely helpful if you can find prior cath reports and prior stress tests. When it comes to family history, ask about known coronary artery disease, MIs, strokes, and PEs. If a first-degree relative has a history of MI, make sure to ask how old they were when it happened. That piece of information is particularly significant if a male relative was under 55 or a female relative was under 65 when they were first diagnosed with coronary artery disease. Although a lot of this is related to ischemic heart disease, don't forget about PE, history of exogenous estrogen use, prior history of DVT, PE, and hypercoagulable states such as cancer, surgery, or recent trauma. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the physical exam. Although this will give you less information than the history, there are some important things that you don't want to miss. As always, start with the vitals and your general assessment of the patient. Do they appear in distress? Are they dyspneic, pale, or diaphoretic? If you answered yes to any of those, stop and get a resident or an attending. That patient could be in the sick category and might need immediate intervention. Try to keep your physical exam focused. Listen to the heart for rubs, gallops, and murmurs. And if someone who loves teaching ultrasound is available, this is a great opportunity to do a bedside echo. Listen to the lungs for crackles and equal breath sounds to assess for pulmonary edema and pneumothorax. Don't forget to examine the extremities to check for peripheral edema. If it's bilateral, think heart failure. If unilateral, think DVT and consequently PE. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the workup. So remember that in the emergency department, your primary goal is to rule out the bad pathologies. Some patients can have the bad stuff be mostly ruled out by history and physical exam. Those who can't require further testing. For example, a 25-year-old male with no risk factors for early coronary artery disease or thromboembolic disease with normal vital signs likely won't need more than an ECG and a chest X-ray. Alternatively, a 75-year-old male on insulin, Crestor, with 30-pack year smoking history, prior bypass, and no primary care physician is likely to get the full Monty. Most of your chest pain patients will get an ECG and a chest X-ray at the very minimum, as they're relatively inexpensive and non-invasive. Any patient that you're worried about ACS gets aspirin, unless there's a contraindication like anaphylaxis, two sets of cardiac markers, chest x-ray, and an ECG at the very minimum. Aspirin and ECG should always be your first step in these patients because you don't want to delay the diagnosis of STEMI as intervention is very time sensitive. Oh, and whenever you get an ECG, always try to obtain an old one for comparison. Consider adding a lipase if the patient has epigastric pain, history of gallstones, or alcoholism. CBC and chemistries can help clue you into inflammatory conditions like pericarditis and myocarditis. If you have concern for PE, testing options include D-dimer, CTA of the chest, VQ scan, and ultrasound of the lower extremities for DVTs. Low-risk patients can often be screened with a D-dimer alone. However, any patient that you have high suspicion for PE should probably skip the D-dimer, have anticoagulation therapy started, and get more definitive testing like CTA of the chest or VQ scan. And don't forget about your decision rules like PERC and Wells criteria. For more comprehensive information on workup and specific treatment options, I recommend consulting any textbooks provided by your program, like Titten Alley's or Rosen's Emergency Medicine.
Of course, don't forget to take advantage of your pocket resources that were mentioned in our earlier episode on resources. Before we wrap up, let's review some of the can't-misses and must-knows for every chest pain patient. Our can't-misses include ACS, aortic dissection, pericarditis with tamponade, pulmonary embolus, pneumothorax, and esophageal rupture. For our H&P must-knows, we've got risk factors like smoking, diabetes, and vascular disease, any recent exertional chest pain or dyspnea, recent caths or stress tests, is the pain ongoing or resolved, is there any associated diaphoresis? Did the pain begin at rest? And as always, vital signs are vital. One of the trickier things about working in the emergency department is getting a thorough history while also being efficient. It takes practice, trial and error to get it right. I hope that after listening to this episode, you'll be better prepared to take an efficient but thorough history on your chest pain patients. Remember to start with open-ended questions and then fill in the gap with some direct questions to get a complete but focused history. If you can manage to cover everything that we went over in this episode, you'll have all the info you need to make a great case presentation to your senior resident or attending. I'll go over tips on actually presenting your patients on a future episode, so stay tuned and thanks for listening.